Please turn with me in your Bibles as we now turn to Psalm number 6. Psalm number 6 as we continue our series in loving the Psalms. And again, the Psalms are wonderful in their own right even if they weren't what we are to sing. We are to sing them and it makes it even more important that we understand what we are singing on each and every Sabbath day, at each service of worship. But the Psalms bring wonderful comfort to the weary soul, and that's what we're going to be looking at here this evening. And this, this sermon is going to be entitled, Relief for the Weary Soul. Relief for the Weary Soul. That's what's so wonderful about the Psalms. Um, They bring wonderful help and relief, this psalm and many other psalms as well. And they speak of times of difficulty and trial. And one of the things I personally love about the psalms is there's like the raw emotion that you see in the psalms. There's There's no pretending, there's no hiding behind anything. Uh, I remember for the first four years I was a Christian, I always struggled to... I was in hymn singing churches and I really struggled to get into hymn singing. And I always thought, is it me? Um, I never felt particularly moved by them, maybe Amazing Grace a little bit. But I always felt that they were always so, it's hard to put it into words, that they never reached down and spoke of my own experience in a lot of ways. I remember a friend of mine to help me in this, he bought me a, a hymn history, and I thought, well, if I understand the, the history of why they wrote these hymns, uh, that I'll, I'll be more touched by them, but I always struggled uh, to get into them. Uh, the, the hymns always seemed to be everything was wonderful, joyful, there are the odd exception, happy, focusing on the, the experience of conversion, which is wonderful, of course, But never did I see a hymn, or at least I've never come across one, where it speaks about the dark struggles that a Christian faces. I've never come across one. Maybe you have. Um, And I remember once I began to sing the Psalms, it was a little over 10 years ago, I never sung the Psalms before. I remember it was a a black cover. It was um, the Psalms of David had said, and I said, this is strange. Is this the Psalms out of the Bible? Uh, that's unusual. But I just, I, I sung it. It was a church down in Dublin. And, um, and I remember, I was just visiting that church. Didn't know it was a psalm singing church. But after that, I didn't sing psalms again in, with other people for six months. And I so, I missed it. I really, really missed it. And I couldn't wait to sing the psalms with other people again. Why did it speak to my soul I think one of the reasons it spoke to my own soul is it just, the Psalms speak of anguish, they speak of pain, they speak of real experiences, real life, um, times of distress that we all face, trials. And even in this trial that we look at in Psalm 6, we're going to read in a moment, perhaps we're not even sure when we're going through trials, the difficult trials, whether our own sin, we may struggle. Is it my own sin that's bringing on this? David actually seems to be struggling with this. And we're going to see that in a moment. And so, what do we do? We cry out to him who is faithful. 
So I pray by God's grace that this psalm, as we look through it, would be medicine for our own soul. Healing, soothing, encouraging. Because it deals with real emotions that I would say that we've all been there. What this psalm is speaking about. These emotions, these difficulties. At times when it says, I'm weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my crouch my couch with my tears. These are things we, a lot of, uh, mo- most of us have all faced at one point in our lives. So Psalm number six. Uh, let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. To the chief musician with stringed instruments on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. My night, I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible Word. There's been much talk in, in recent years of mental health, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Much of it is good. Much of it is good because our health is not just our body, it's also our mind and other things as well. But I think when we come to Psalms such as this, we may be in danger of thinking it's only certain people who get, have these feelings that it's only certain people who will reach that point of lowness. We think of Elijah. He reached a point of lowness. Um, Martin Luther. He reached depths of despair in his ministry. Charles Spurgeon. There are certain personalities that out of 10, their highest emotions will be 12. Their lowest will be a zero. And there are certain personalities, their highest is an eight. And maybe their lowest is a four. We're all different. We're all different. But I think we all face times like this in this psalm. And guess what I'm saying here is, if you, if you resonate with this, and I certainly do, I've had moments like this. You're not strange. You're not unusual. It's not unusual to... Be burdened down with things. And maybe even 
weeping as you fall asleep at night. Times that have been so difficult for you. It's not that we don't have these times. It's what we do in times such as this. Now, I know some of us may come across as if we've got it all together. And some of us, I think we've, we all go through times like this. Now, how we share these things with others, we need to show, we need to have wisdom in how we do that. But let us realize we all need that same comfort. Whether you're in a happy place today, whether you're in a sad place today, whether you haven't had these feelings for many years, maybe you're going through it today, maybe it's not been that long ago, but whatever the case is, we can still find relief, sweet, wonderful relief for our weary soul as we travel toward our heavenly home, our heavenly Canaan. There's something I, I believe for every single Christian, every single weary soul. So number one, we're going to look at deserved. Number one, deserved. And as we look at the first verse, what do we deserve? If we think about what do we deserve, do we deserve blessings? Do we deserve the blessings of heaven in our own selves? Not at all. We do not deserve the least of God's mercies. Lamentation says that. Jeremiah wrote that after the fall of Jerusalem. It is why David the psalmist realizes he doesn't deserve the least of God's mercy so he can say this. What does he say? Verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. The psalmist is clearly seeking relief. Relief from something that is, is burdening him afflicting him, bringing great anguish to him. He's seeking relief from pain, from suffering and affliction. We know he is suffering. We, we just get the sense of it here. Oh Lord, do not rebuke me. Uh, verse two, have mercy upon me, oh Lord, for I am weak. He says, he describes it even as well in verse two, oh Lord, heal me. My bones, it gets deep into his bones and my bones are troubled. This is a, a deep suffering that David is going through. Now, we mentioned there's no specific sin mentioned in the psalm, which is interesting. He says, do not rebuke me in your anger. Now, we don't know when David wrote this. Did David perhaps write this after he fell into adultery? Maybe he's wondering and not sure at times whether he fell into sin and his current circumstances of pain and anguish has something to do with personal sin. Um, it can be, but it's not always the case. You have to be very, very uh, careful in this area. David, though, seems to clearly say that it could be. It could be the reason. Because he says, oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. It's obviously a possibility. Not all suffering is because of something specific we've done. If you look through the book of Job, um, Job is a godly man and he loses everything. And his three so-called friends are sitting around going, aha, Job, you see why you got into this pain in the first place? 
You must have done something really bad. So it's not always the case, but it can be. David himself suffered. He lost a child. We know that. After he, f- he fell into sin with Bathsheba. So, and we've got to be careful unless we're specifically told it in the scriptures, you know. So, the thing to do is, if we do find sin in our lives, is to repent of it. Is to repent of it and cry out to the Lord for mercy in the midst of our suffering. All suffering. There's a sense in which every single drop of suffering and pain across the world it may be not specifically because of specific sin we've done it is tied though to sin in some way if there was no sin in the world there'd be no suffering at all there wouldn't be a tear shed anywhere we'd still be in a paradise case so in some way all sin has to do with the fact that we live in a sinful world but a psalm such as this could not be uttered could it before the fall of man this is a psalm that really speaks of the anguish of somebody living in a fallen, suffering world. Sin brings death, destruction, and misery, and David knows it. He is suffering. And look, he is putting before, and it's something we could all pray for, regardless of what condition we're in. Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure, because we know if we got what we deserve, we would be rebuked. In his hot anger. And we would be chastened with his hot displeasure. But because of Christ. That is removed. Gone. We consider what we deserve. But we do not get what we deserve. We get mercy. See. And we also see here with the psalmist. He's miserable. About. And he's either surrounded by sin. Or he's fallen into sin. But sin brings misery. If people are happy and comfortable in this world and, and, and are just at ease with the sin around them, that's something to be really concerned about. But if, but if you are here this evening and, and sin just, you see it in the newspaper and it burdens your heart, that's a very encouraging sign that the, the, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. We should be aware of our own sin first and foremost, but at the same time. It's a sign that the Spirit of God is working in you. And when we do sin ourselves, and we all sin, God the Father chastises his children. The psalmist writes, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. What does the Lord do for all his children? Every single one of his children. Hebrews 12, verses 6 to 8. For whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. See what Paul is writing to the Hebrews there. He's saying, if you're not being chastened in your sin, that's serious. That is serious. If you're without chastening, it's because you're not one of his sons. But if you, are, if you fall into sin and it's a miserable experience, that's actually quite encouraging. There's going to be misery in our Christian walk when we fall into sin, especially serious sin. And when that we experience that misery, we cry out to the Lord, O oh Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Have mercy upon me. Remember this, that the Lord is chasing you in his love. 
It may be a miserable, difficult experience, but God is actually showing you that as his child, he loves you. When our children misbehave, what do we do? We correct them. We discipline them. Because we're angry with them? No. We love them. He who spares his rod, it says in Proverbs 13, 24, hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. God disciplines us, his children, out of a love. Now again, just as much as when we were disciplined by our own parents, it's not pleasant, is it? But it's for our own good. And the important thing to remind the next generation is, why am I doing this? Why do I discipline my children? Because I love them. Because I love them. Is it pleasant? No. But David realizes that his own sin could and may well be the problem. And this is why we have these opening verses. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, for my bones are troubled. What do we do in the midst of weariness? Don't seek to be stronger in yourself. We're not. We're just like the psalmist here. I am weak. You are weak. It's at times we see this more and more. It's usually when we hit these low moments, we see ourselves better than any other time. We see that we're weak, we're frail, and we're so dependent on our God in heaven, and we seek relief from our God. So number one, we looked at deserved. Number two, now we're going to look at desired. Desired. This is a cry of faith. If you've reached that moment, you've reached your lowest, and you're crying out to the Lord, you may not use many words. I remember when I first got saved, the first prayer I ever made was this. I am so sorry. The only words I could utter. I wept for about 30 minutes. The Lord wants our heart. He wants our heart. And in the midst of those weeping cries, he does deliver us. He does help us. This is a cry of faith who trusts God will seek God's help when he's in the midst of this difficulty. Because if you don't trust God, you're not going to cry out to God in the midst of that. This is why people turn to various different things. People turn to various addictions they have and all sorts of other things because that's what they seek relief from in the world. What do people, what do young people seek relief from? Alcohol. Drugs. So that they can forget. They can soothe their conscience. That's, I can speak from my own personal experience. I drank because I wanted to forget things. But there was no relief in that. There was no relief in that. But God brings relief. Verse 4. Look at verse 4 here. Return, O Lord. Deliver me. See, deliver me from this situation. Deliver me from this pit I'm in. Deliver me from this weeping. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. Why, did, why save me? For your mercy's sake. For your reputation. Verse 8 says this. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. We desire 
God. And while we may look at a psalm like this and kind of go, I hope I, ne-, you know, you, you might say, I hope I never go through this. But there's a sense of blessing in the midst of this. The psalmist, no matter how hard things get, he is leaning upon his God and he says, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The enemies come in, they, they put pressure on the godly and what do the godly do? Out of a heart of faith, they cry out to the Lord. It's a blessed thing. It is a blessed thing. Remember, the Lord could shield us from all difficulty if he actually really wanted to. The troubles that are in our lives are not outside of the control of God. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. There's always a good reason that God has brought us through whatever difficulty we're going through. His desire for God has grown. The Lord has heard my supplication, verse 9. The Lord will receive my prayer. And he's saying, look, depart from me, verse 8. All you workers of iniquity. Depart from me, those who wish to bring me to sin. Away with the love of the world, the psalmist is saying. Away with the praise of the world and other such things. It's like almost like the psalmist is writing this. Give me God and him alone. He gives the reason for his desire in seeking deliverance. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. He's saying, why does he search? Why does he search for deliverance from God? He says this, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? So he's saying, Lord, deliver me. Give me yourself because if I go down into the grave, which I certainly will without you, How can I praise you? How can I praise you as a dead man? Save me that I may praise you. Save me that I may point towards your radiance. Save me that I may shine forth the radiance of your glory. That I may point towards it that your name will be glorified. That's the argument that the psalmist is making. David is seeking for such to praise God. God, David the psalmist is pleading with God to deliver him so that he would not be unable to praise God. Do you see that? Do you see his focus? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our Westminster Short Catechism. It's even right there. His whole reason, save me from this difficulty, save me from this weariness, save me from all these things so that I would be able to praise you. To desire God. To desire his help really. Is also to desire. To know his glory. And to know. And to share his glory with others. The splendor of the Lord. The splendor of the son of God. Is seen. By those who have eyes to see. And ears to hear. And when we're going through difficulty. And we're going through times of distress. What happens. Whenever. It's night time. And it gets darker and darker and darker. It gets easier and easier to see the stars, doesn't it? And it's at that mo- those dark moments that the, the light of the Son of God, the splendor, is more easily seen. Because we see the darkness of this world at various moments in our lives. We see that what this world offers, it, 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 it's not satisfying. It, it leaves a gravel taste in our mouth and we want something different. Something heavenly, something outside of this world. 
We desire the sweetness of the voice of the Son of God. And that's only heard by those who have ears to hear. Those born again. And the warmth of the embrace of Christ is only felt by those with a new heart. Return, O Lord, verse 4. Deliver me, O save me for your mercy's sake. For your sake. Not even for my own sake, but for your sake. So that your name may be known. What do you desire in times of affliction? Times of difficulty? And affliction can take many different forms. It may be health. It may be difficulties in relationships. It may be worry. It can be all sorts of things. But what do we seek in times of distress? Worry. Is it God? Or do we just want the problems to go away? There's a big difference, by the way. All of us want problems to go away. All of us want an easy life. But do we want God in the midst of the trouble? And God does and can rescue us from those things. But do we seek God? The weary soul will find relief because he's so thirsty. Imagine, if you will, somebody's traveling through a desert. They're thirsty. There's no, there's no water. And he finds Christ. He finds a reservoir. He finds a fountain of living water. He drinks and he's satisfied. And the more he drinks, do you think he's going to say, okay, there's a reservoir here. It's desert everywhere else. I'm going to go somewhere else for refreshment. No, you stay where that reservoir is. You find sweet refreshment there because Jesus himself is the fountain of living waters. And your soul, because you've been made in the image of God, naturally thirsts for God. Christ refreshes the heart of the weary Christian seeking him. In in Revelation 7, verses 16 to 17, they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In this psalm, there is much tears. There's so many tears. I drench my couch with my tears. There's coming a time when there'll be no more tears. Just refreshment for the believer in Jesus Christ. And the question is, do we desire that? Do we desire heaven? And it's often, as before we go on to the next point, it's why we go through these things. Why do we go through these things? So we don't, it's so attached to this world that we don't long for heaven. The more comfortable this world will be, the more we will, dare I say, dread heaven. Heaven is sweet. Heaven is wonderful. But this world, one day, it will be burned up. One day it will be transformed. Number three now, delayed. Delayed. So we've looked at deserved, desired, now delayed. As we wait for heaven, what is, what is needed when we wait for anything? Patience, isn't it? Patience is hard. We struggle with it. And it's not that heaven is delayed or our, our prayers are delayed in being answered. It's just from our perspective as creatures, 
It feels like, will it ever happen? Verse 3, my soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? And you may be in the midst of either health problems or whatever other problems you may be going through. It may be difficulty. It, it may be the worrying about maybe the spiritual condition of, of a child or someone you've witnessed to and other things that may be worrying your soul. And you wonder, how long will this go on for? From our point of view, it may seem like these things are delayed. We struggle with waiting. We really do. We want the results, not even today. We want them yesterday. But as we wait, remind ourselves we must, that God has a perfect time. Much better time than I or you will ever come up with. He has a perfect time. His ways are better. We always must remind ourselves that. His ways and his times and his seasons are perfect. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 to 8. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. But look at that verse 4 again. A time to weep. And a time to laugh. There will be moments of laughter. There will be times of, of joy. Even in this fallen world. But there will also be times to weep. Jesus himself <coughs> wept. He wept over Jerusalem. The most holy man to ever walk upon the face of the earth. He wept over Jerusalem. And if you are in the midst of trial and difficulty, this is the season you're in. Trust God to see you through. He has not delayed his promises. His promises do not fail. Look at what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some would count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, it may feel like a thousand years, but to the Lord, it is a drop in a bucket. He is in control of everything. Even when we're going through times such as the Psalms writes, my eye wastes away. Because of grief. And these are moments we even find hard to share with some of our best friends. Grows old because of all my enemies. When we are weary like this, it is, e is it easy to wait? If we're in this, if we're like the psalmist here, is it easy to wait? Oh, it's, it's so hard. Uh, it's desperately hard. And that's when we need heavenly strength. 
You see, the Lord will often bring us to these points and they're opportunities to depend on Him. Look at them as opportunities. They're opportunities to pray. They're opportunities to fast. You, you don't have any hunger anymore. Your hunger is just gone from you. You just don't even want... That's an opportunity to fast, friends. What, what, is, what is troubling you? What will rob you of sleep? That's an opportunity to pray too. Points in the psalm is people get up in the middle, in the middle of the, the, the Bible, talk about get up in the middle of the night to, to pray and to praise God. Times of difficulty are, all, are not outside of the control of God. They are there for a wonderful reason. There is no delaying in his relief. He will bring it at the right time. Remember, there's a good, holy, and righteous reason for whatever you're going through this day. And our final point is depended on. Depended on. We've looked at deserved, what we deserve, desired, delayed, and depended on. Number four. Verse eight. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. David suffers under his enemies but his reason for them departing, he's saying, depart from me. Why? All those who would afflict him, why will they depart from him? For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. There are times when we weep. In Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 4, Nehemiah is wondering, how are the, the returning captives getting on in the rebuilding of Jerusalem? He hears broken down walls. He's absolutely devastated. And what does he do? He weeps. He prays. And he fasts. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. When God hears our prayers, there's nothing that can stop him. God is not a man that he should ever lie or change in any way. He is trustworthy. It says in Numbers 23 verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man, that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will not make it good? Now, the promises of God that we find in the word of God, that will never, ever fail. But we must be careful that we don't think that God has promised us something that's not in his word. Sometimes we can be angry with God, or bitter with God, thinking he has promised us something, but it's not even in his word. Actually, he'll promise us the exact opposite. So it's very important to be in the word of God, to see what God has promised the believer while still on this earth. God is not like men. Men may and do often promise and do the exact opposite. Men are not dependable. Uh, God is dependable. God answers prayers. He does exactly what he says he will do. And because he, Jesus Christ took the rebuke of the Lord's anger, look at verse 1 again, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. The Lord Jesus Christ took the anger of Almighty God. He took it away. He drank it down. So this is no longer something that hangs over the believer. Nor chase him in your hot displeasure. Jesus took the hot displeasure of God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes 
we are healed. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Why was he, why was he afflicted? David's in the midst of affliction. But Jesus was afflicted for the sins of others. Not his own sin. It couldn't possibly have been his own sin. Because he never did sin. Never could sin. But in Christ, who has satisfied this hot displeasure, this anger, this righteous anger from God, within in him, through him, the Lord, the, the King of heaven and earth, the Father in heaven, has heard the weeping prayers of his saints. Is he not worthy of our trust? Is he not worthy of our praise? You see, whatever God says he will do, he will do it. Every single time without fail. Verse 9 again, the Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. And this is why the psalmist is so confident in the face of his enemies. And he said, depart from me, all you workers of iniquities. What does it say then in verse 10, the last verse? Let all my enemies be ashamed and and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed. Suddenly, those who, you see, the workers of iniquity, there's, there's two seeds that go right back to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The, wor- the workers of iniquity are the seed of the serpent. The seed of the woman, well, they are those in Christ. Those are the enemies. Now, we're to love our enemies. We're to pray for our enemies. But when we, but this here does not contradict with praying and loving for our enemies. In order for our enemies to turn from their ways and to trust in Jesus, first of all, they've got to be, put it like this, they need to be ashamed of themselves and greatly troubled from what they have done. Then they will turn back and be ashamed. It's actually a good thing to learn for the wicked. That their own bones would be troubled. That what it says here in verse 2, for my bones are troubled. And there's almost a sense of grace that they would see it. This side of eternity. We want those who are sinners to discover they're sinners and that they're fallen and that they deserve the wrath of God in this world. Not in the world to come. Because that's too late. They may be revived. Relieved. But whatever the case is. God is glorified. And his saints. His weary saints. Are. They find sweet relief. Do you see that? There's almost. A weight removed. If you read in. Pilgrim's Progress. Christian carries his burden on his back. Gets heavier and heavier and heavier. Now this is is due to sin. But it's a bit like that with with the Christian seeking relief from God. Removing that burden from us. And it's only if we're going to trust God's way and not our own. Not our own. Dear friend, what trial, what difficulty are you facing today? There may be things that your friends don't even know about that you're going through. 
But your God in heaven knows all about it. Better than you do. Better than any of us do. We live in a fallen world. So the reason I said at the beginning when we talk about mental health, yeah, some people can be more prone to this, but it doesn't mean you're strange. If this sounds like something you've gone through, you're not at all strange. Actually, I think more of us go through these times than we would let on. We live in a fallen world full of distress and we need relief. The saints of old, I mentioned Martin Luther, I mentioned Charles Spurgeon, they hit some really low points and they struggled. But they knew how to seek relief. They knew where it was found. And they were able to keep going. Sometimes that's more than enough. To put one foot in front of another. To keep going. And to seek that relief along our journey in Christ. Not in idols. If we don't seek it in Christ, we'll seek relief in all the wrong places. By God's grace, I pray that we would all seek relief from Christ refreshment from Christ, that our thirst will be quenched by him. Amen.